Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Richard's Radio Adventures. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to say a lot of things about this show, but I can't because the truth of the matter is those particular things pertain to the other show, uh, Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. If y'all hadn't checked it out, go over and uh, take a look. This tends to be my personal opinions more than that show. That show is more about uh, nothing but uh, teaching folks. So we're going to talk about the main topic here in a minute. What we need to get to first is uh, I was sitting around thinking about the impending release of the new episodes of the other show. And it dawned on me that it was a titanic effort. It really took a lot to make that show happen. And unfortunately, I had a little bit of help at that time. And... Now I'm pretty much doing this by myself. This is a one-man show, and even though it's kind of time-intensive, it's something I can handle by myself. However, for resonant frequency, when it starts back up, I'm finally going to have to let go of a little bit of control and ask for help. So here's what I'm proposing. Uh, We're looking for all kinds of help. As far as resonant frequency, the amateur radio podcast is concerned, when it starts back up, you know, things not limited to, but including uh, helping us steer our social media sites in the right direction, doing show notes for the shows when they come out. I've never been really great with show notes. I had a gentleman that was on board with that in the previous incarnation of resonant frequency, however... Bill has gone on to bigger and better things, and fortunately, like I said, my show notes aren't that great. (laughs) You know, we're we're looking for all kinds of help, and for those of y'all who don't have the time to help, even uh, donations to help us improve the equipment, pay for the servers, and that kind of stuff, uh, that would be helpful as well. You know, we have to pay to park the podcasts out on the internet, have the website out there, all that good stuff so that uh, we can try and bring y'all a quality production. And like I said, we are non-commercial and we're doing our best to stay non-commercial. We do not accept advertising. We do not talk about ham radio mugs or decals for your cars and stuff on here. The only time we do mention anything in the neighborhood of that is because we're trying to get this thing ramped back up. But when resonant frequency comes back, I want it to be what it was before, which was not only the 800-pound gorilla of amateur radio podcasting, but it was also the gold standard in non-commercial ham radio podcast, non-commercial being big. Because the shows here are about y'all. Now, I know there's a couple of folks out there that got a little butt hurt because they may have made comments, suggestions, that kind of stuff. And in response, they got a truthful answer. And that's fine. But these shows are all about y'all. It's about bringing to light things that y'all need to know. It's about teaching y'all stuff continuing the Elmering process, trying to generate new Elmers, and all that good stuff. 
Now, I posted a uh, kind of an article over at the website, if y'all want to go ahead and read it. It's up on the front page. I made it sticky so it doesn't roll off. But it's got contact information, kind of what we're up to and what we're needing here. And I would appreciate it if y'all would at least go and take a look at it. Now, this week we haven't received any feedback. We haven't received any donations. I'm still fighting with PayPal to get them to let me accept the donations because they're giving me a ration about verifying my account. And we may have to set up another account. I'll keep y'all posted on that. But um, anyway, y'all can go over there and take a look, see what we got going on, uh, or what the article says. I say article, it's just a note to my listeners. So with that, we're going to finish talking about that because we're already six minutes in, thereabouts, six, seven minutes in, and I really don't want to put y'all completely to sleep. So let's move on to our topic. Okay, as you all know, Some years back, I had Resonant Frequencies Amateur Radio Podcast. I was helping other podcasters get started with their shows and stuff. And I was starting to feel a little overwhelmed initially with Resonant Frequency. So I started asking folks if they'd be interested in being a co-host on Resonant Frequencies Amateur Radio Podcast. And we went through the process and I talked to a few folks. And at the time, I was actually starting to think of, you know, Resonant Frequency is kind of a solo project for the most part. Yes, we did have a few interviews. Yes, we did have uh, folks coming in and doing uh, segments and that kind of stuff for the show and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it was pretty much a solo project. A lot of the information I brought to you myself and that kind of stuff. But then I ran across a guy who, after we talked for a while, it turned out that he would have made a great co-host if we were going to revamp the format at Resonant Frequency to make that happen. However, since I had pretty much decided against, and we spent a long time talking, I found out that he was well-versed in uh, the Linux operating system, which is something I had been looking into to add to my machines because I got tired of paying huge amounts of money for an operating system that was always buggy, always had to have updates. You couldn't get to do what you needed to do because the thing was always doing some kind of maintenance. It was having to run virus software. It was having to do hard drive uh, compressions, you know, all this stuff, or defrags, and all this other kind of stuff. So I was looking into other options and had heard about the Linux operating system and had started using it and that kind of stuff. So we hit it off and we decided to generate another show, a spinoff of Resonant Frequencies Amateur Radio Podcast, which in the 15 or so years, maybe a little longer that it's been since that show was started, it has grown and changed and Quite honestly, it has become a show unto itself, and the word spinoff is kind of uh, kind of downgrading its importance, not only in the amateur radio community, but in the Linux community as well. So let me talk to you guys a little bit about Linux, simply because there's a lot of 
misconception where the Linux operating system is concerned among amateur radio operators and the general public and that kind of stuff. And we'll start off with a little bit of history. I'm not going to bore you with it. This is not going to be turn into one of those step-by-step, hands-on, put-you-to-sleep, college lecture kind of things that uh, we were known for over resonant frequency. But, you know, just a few quick things. The history of Linux, actually, tell you the truth, it reaches back almost as far as Microsoft. And I say that because in 1970, or 1969, a couple guys at Bell Labs, which is now AT&T Bell Labs, wrote an operating system called Unix. Now, Unix, it was kind of difficult to work with and stuff, so they went ahead and uh, rewrote it in C to make it more portable. And... It was moving, it was moving forward. It was basically, it was later widely adopted by academic institutions and businesses to help run their individual software for their needs. About 1977, at the University of California in Berkeley, some gentlemen developed what is we call a Unix-like operating system nowadays, but it was just an offshoot of Unix called uh, BSD, which BSD is still out there, and it's used a lot. <laughs> but the BSD being Berkeley Software Distribution, and it was based on the sixth edition of Unix. These guys plugged on, but then they started running into... Um, legal issues with AT&T over the fact that it was kind of closely related to Unix. You know, in the early 90s, there were lawsuits and that kind of stuff. And it really slowed down development and adoption of BSD. Back at that time, a lot of people weren't running to grab BSD and start using it on their computers. So we move up to 1983. In 1983, a gentleman named Richard Stallman Go Rich. He started the GNU project. And the goal was to create a free Unix-like operating system. In the process, he was the gentleman who wrote the original GNU public license. Now, GPL is really important to us in and around the Linux community because it basically gets everybody working together and contributing together and creating this thing, so it's kind of like the people's operating systems came out of the GNU public license. And this progressed, but unfortunately the kernel they had at the time, and kernel is a piece of the operating system for y'all that aren't that far into it, but it's the core of the operating system, pretty much. And even Windows has a kernel problem with theirs was it was called herd and apparently it was not great let's fast forward again by the early 1990s personal computer technology had progressed to the point that we ended up having computers with a 386 processor in them or 8386 which opened up a lot more features 
in those machines than we had had before. And a gentleman studying computer science over at the University of Helsinki decided that he wanted to write a basic kernel to take advantage of these new features in the 386 processor. So he started with a, a base of Minix, which was another offshoot of Unix, and a C compiler that he picked up from uh, what is now the Free Software Foundation, I think it's called, which is where our old buddy uh, Richard Stallman was hanging out, and proceeded to work on this thing. With the development of the X-Window system, by 1992, it even had a GUI interface. So that dispels your myths that Linux, if you, those of y'all that have heard of it and don't want to use it because it's all command line and everything else like old DOS computers. No, it's had a GUI interface available since 1992. Once that came along, this thing started to get some traction. By 1992, Linux was able to be distributed. Linux wasn't ready for the mainstream, but it was good enough for people to start uh, fooling around with. This pretty much takes us to where we are. Other than my history as a user, today, just to make this recording, I decided to run a timer on the Windows machine I'm using at the moment. And a lot of y'all might that have heard me talking about Linux and how great it is and everything in the past might be wondering why I'm using a, a Windows machine. Well, the truth of the matter is, like most amateur radio operators, I am cheap. And being cheap means that I can't bring myself to wipe an operating system off of a computer when it's functioning properly. I've had this computer about a year. And it is running Windows, and it is almost unusable, and that's why I normally wipe them and put Linux on there. However, just to get started to do this recording, started from the computer being off, because sometimes when it updates or uh, finishes virus scans and stuff, it'll shut off. It took 6 minutes and 19 seconds to even get to the desktop. Not the amount of time it took to become usable, but it took 6 minutes and 19 seconds to get to the desktop. Now, you have to also add the other 10 minutes it took me to be able to get the software that we use to record up on the screen and be able to actually operate the software by clicking on the various buttons and stuff to get any kind of reaction out of the thing. Now, I understand in Redmond, those guys that are writing their operating system, that they go in in the morning, they push the go button on their machine, then they go to the potty, then they go to the coffee maker, then they stand in the hallway and talk with their buddies a little bit. They might have one of their supervisors say something to them for a minute or two as they're in the hallway. 20, 30 minutes later, they decide to go in there and sit down, and they may finally get started for, to work at that point. Well, for a guy like me, if I sit down at my computer and it's not running, I've gone over to my computer to actually do something, and I go sit down and it's, it's turned off, 
and I hit the button, I don't want to wait 30 minutes. Big problems with this Microsoft system I'm running is that uh, I can't get the backups to my backup drive to run at particular times. They tend to run whenever they want to, even though I've gone in there and changed the settings a thousand times. And we can even talk about and bash Microsoft forever in a day. One thing I did forget earlier is that on the other side, Apple. If you are running Apple, you are basically running a copy of BSD. And I've said this before, I talked to, uh, I used to know a guy. Well, I haven't talked to him in years. I guess we still know each other. His name is Gene Steinberg, and he had a program called Paracast. And he was also a technical writer for Apple. Well, not for Apple, but he his technical writing tended to be Apple-related. And we got to talking one night, and I told him I ran Linux, and he said, Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you know, almost anything you can do on that, you can do on uh, OS X. I go, Really? Richard's story time. It snuck right in there. And um, we finally figured out that, uh, after doing a little research, that OS X is based on some of the original BSDs. Remember, we were talking about BSDs earlier which is Linux-like. The difference in BSD is you can lock, you can change the software and lock it down, whereas uh, in Linux, it's a little bit different situation. So I've gone yak, yak, yak. Now, I said all that about the Microsoft machine, so I can tell you this. I have picked up multiple computers over the years at garage sales, and to get them even usable with the software I wanted to run, whether it was the few games that I've played over the years or particular office suite or whatever. And, you know, I'd have to put a little memory in them or I'd have to put a bigger hard drive in them. I have never failed to pick one of those up that I couldn't bring home and done whatever hardware stuff I needed to do to it and then load a copy of Linux on it and make it go. Case in point. I have a laptop here right now that I bought with the proceeds from some equipment I sold at a ham fest one year, and it was expensive, but it wasn't top of the line because they're never top of the line when you buy them, unless, of course, you go out of your way to make that happen. Now, at this point, 15, 16, 17 years later, this laptop, I went to load a copy of Linux Mint, and we'll get to that in a minute, on there, and unfortunately, it, it's running so slow due to the uh, memory issue that it has that I'm going to have to order some memory for it, a whole $14, and when it gets here, I'll plug that in and put on my favorite flavor of Linux Mint. That's simply because Linux Mint is pretty, it's got you know, we talk about Microsoft having a fat ass. Well, occasionally you'll have a Linux distribution that uh, has a weight control problem itself. So, we've gone through the fact that you can pick up used computers. You can pick them up at garage sales for 20 25 bucks. People can't, don't think they can use them because the Microsoft Windows is so goobered up on it that it takes forever and they run into snail's pace. Or they need maybe a memory stick or a bigger hard drive or whatever. Uh, in fact, that particular laptop, if I can find, I have a hard drive here that's 250 gigs. 
one it's in is 80. 80 gigs. So, that would definitely help as well. I'm thinking it's going to be some kind of dedicated radio thing. Possibly XLX server or APRS gateway or something. So let's get to Linux. We've talked a long time, and we really need to get to the nuts and bolts of it. Addressing the issue of usability. Yes, it is true that you can go into a terminal screen or command line prompt or whatever you want to call it, and you can do everything on that machine that it's possible to do. But, as I said before, some type of GUI since 1994. And now, you have multiple choices in desktop environments with Linux. I don't think they've got there with Microsoft yet. And I can't speak to the Apple machine. Russ over at Linux in the ham shack, he's the king of the magical fruit-filled computer. But there are multiple operating environments, all the way from the basic, I want to load my programs and use the program, to things that have 3D screens and animations and all this other good stuff. Kind of depends on what you want to look at on your screen. Everything is about a mouse click away, just like the other software. There's menus that are set up similar to the other two operating systems we've been talking about. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, what the heck has this got to do with amateur radio? Is that this is a quick, easy, cheap, efficient way to have a dedicated amateur radio computer in your radio room and or a computer in your home that can run amateur radio software. One of the arguments I hear is that it is so difficult to install software on Linux. Well, no. In fact, it's easier. Because a lot of the software that's available not only is free, but you can go into one of the pieces of software in the operating system, and scroll down a list, pick the one you want, click, get it downloaded and installed without a bunch of muss and fuss. We have long since passed the days where you have to sit down, roll your own kernel, turn on functions and stuff like that. It still occasionally happens. I know I had to do it at one point when I was working with some packet software. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but I haven't run into that issue since. There is software out there for the newest digital modes. There's software out there for CW training. There's software out there. I mean, I used to run a packet gateway 15 years ago, as I said, but I was the NTS or the NTS digital hub for DFW in the North Texas section. I was also the Pactor hub on HF for North Texas, and all of this stuff ran on Linux. I mean, yes, I used little programs to send messages across packet automatically, which is something I had to build in, but we're talking about 15 years ago. 
This piece of software I'm using right now is the piece of software I've used to record all of the podcasts since I started doing podcasts. And it gets updated regularly. Bug fixes come through extremely fast. And for the most part, when you downloaded a Linux distribution, it's already been beta tested. And I'm not talking about the way Microsoft beta tests operating systems, which they release it, and then they fix the bugs. Most of us can remember Windows XP. There were bug fixes to that operating system all the way to the day that they discontinued it. However, it was a pretty good operating system by the time they discontinued it. But then they decided to give us Windows Vista. Go figure. So what I'd like to say to you is go out and learn about Linux and amateur radio because you can do logging, you can do digital over HF, you can do all kinds of stuff. There's a um, program, no, I'm not going to say that that's for that because I haven't checked it yet, but there's a lot of stuff that runs on Android phones and Android phones are not Microsoft. Do your research, you'll figure out. Uh, what what the Android operating system is. But you can do all this stuff, and it's free. And you can pick up the hardware cheap. And yeah, you may have to adjust the hardware a little bit, but hey, nothing's perfect. Now, let me suggest a couple of things. I use something called Linux Mint. A Linux Mint. Type it in the search engine, it'll come up. I use Linux Mint because it has all the audio and video codecs that I need for recording without me having to fool with it. There are other versions of Linux and there are multiple versions. There are other versions of Linux which do not have those because of the licensing situation. You can even get ones that are so stripped down that you have to decide to install the GUI if you want but you have a lot of options and a lot of choices with Linux as opposed to Microsoft where you have to pay for every freaking thing. I got a piece of virus software and Richard's story time again. We'll finish off on this. I've got a piece of virus software that I have to run on this Windows machine. I've been using this same virus software forever since I first heard about it, probably back in the late 90s. I've been using this particular piece of virus software. And as the years progress, it's still, the base portion is still free, except features keep getting taken out of the base portion and put into the paved version. And now, nag screens. Nag screens have been going on with this thing for probably the last seven, eight years. You cannot do much of anything without the nag screens coming up. Do you want to buy this? Do you want protection from this? Do you want this and this? And this was an all-inclusive virus software when I first downloaded it. I download it free. Use it free. It'll scan for viruses. But if you want your personal information locked down or whatever else, it costs you extra. And no, it's not Norton. I think that was another free one. So, think about Linux. Go look at Linux Mint. Look at Ubuntu. U-B-U-N-T-U. Ubuntu. Which are really desktop friendly. If you want to try something else, 
fedora. And most people have heard of red hat. Fedora is kind of a variant of red hat. Uh, I don't believe CentOS, which was pretty much a direct copy of red hat. I'm not sure if they're even still in production, but you might give them a try. I don't know what the Novell version of SUSE, S-U-S-E, is like now. I do know that when it was a free operating system, it was comparable to most of the others. And really haven't fooled with it since Novell took it over. But go out there, type Linux. Most of all, I would suggest going over to a website called DistroWatch. D-I-S-T-R-O-W-A-T-C-H. DistroWatch. Because there you can read a little bit about these distributions. They have a top 10 list of downloads. You know, what's getting downloaded most, what's getting downloaded least. They have a lot of information over there that is very helpful. And they used to have a podcast called Distro Watch Weekly. I'm not sure if they still have it or not. And I'm going to put some of these links in the, in the show notes. So y'all can go over to the website and take a look and get links to some of these places. So uh, I think I've probably droned on about this, and once again, we're going over. We keep creeping towards Resonant Frequency Link show, and if I hadn't been talking about uh, getting us some help around here at the beginning, we probably would uh, probably would have been done by now. I do appreciate y'all hanging around in there with me. There's so much stuff I could talk about where Linux is an ideal fit, for amateur radio operators, but we really don't have that kind of time. If you want to find out more, the only other show I know of that overtly deals with the Linux operating system where amateur radio is concerned is Linux in the ham shack. Russ and uh, Bill get y'all taken care of over there. They have live shows and stuff like that where you can ask questions. If you're trying to get up to speed on Linux where amateur radio is concerned, that is the place to be. And that's the closest thing to a commercial I'm going to do. So with that, kiddos, I think I've pretty much exhausted uh, your patience at this point. So I'm going to go ahead and cut y'all loose. Just remember, we've been having a lot of those days down here in Texas recently where we have all four seasons at the same time. You know, you know the one. Hot, cold, screaming children, and bugs. That's our four seasons here in Texas. Until next time, y'all spend some time with your family. Get out there and spread the, spread the gospel of amateur radio. And don't be afraid. At the very least, take a look at Linux. You can run it on a live CD and never even put it on your computer. So with that, we'll talk to y'all next time. 7.30. We gotta go.